Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest updates from the world of sports, gambling, and pop culture. Because you can't have a show without hot takes or a Tiger King meme these days. Know what I'm saying? Now, with over 200 episodes and ready to get after it again, here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Welcome to the show, folks. We have playoff baseball tonight. It is Yankees-Red Sox in the opener of the wildcard round. One game playoff, winner take all, obviously. Uh, Yankees uh, traveling to Boston to play the Red Sox. And... The winner will go on to play Tampa Bay in a five-game series. So Yankees, despite being on the road, are a slight favorite. Uh, and uh, the over-under is at eight runs. We got Garrett Cole on the mound uh, uh, for the Yankees going up against Nathan Eovaldi. Uh Over-under is at eight runs. I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I told you this from the jump, uh, like down the stretch, the Yankees needed to win six out of their last nine games. They l- barely got there, barely, because it was a one nothing victory over Tampa Bay on the last day of the season to make sure that they didn't have to go into a playoff scenario, one game playoff scenario against the Blue Jays to then have to go uh, face the Red Sox tonight. They could have had a one-game playoff yesterday against the Blue Jays and then have to play a, a game today against the Red Sox. That's how close they came to blowing it down the stretch. So while everyone wants to pat themselves on the back and say how great it is that the Yanks are in the postseason, this team has horribly underachieved. So if you want me to say that you know this, this is a lock that they're going to win this game, I don't know what to tell you, but... It's clearly obvious this Yankees team is struggling to score runs, to say the least. On the flip side, you have a Boston team that is also struggling mightily because they almost got knocked out of the playoffs by the Washington Nationals, who had nothing going on, nothing to play for. And they were incredibly tight. Neither one of these teams could hit worth a damn down the stretch, and barely eked over the finish line. You know, if if I'm going to be blunt, Tampa is a prohibitive favorite over both of these teams, no matter who wins tonight. Just, that's just a fact. It, it, you should be looking at Tampa Bay as the prohibitive favorite against either one of these teams. And it's not even as though I'm saying Tampa Bay is that good. I'm saying both the Yankees and the Red Sox are disappointing in their own special ways that if you actually expect a deep playoff run from them, I think you're asking way too much. Because their ability to underachieve throughout various points of the season has come up time and time again. So the Red Sox... Realistically, people say they have overachieved. I actually thought that the Red Sox uh, were 
very much in position to win this division. That was just my take. I just had a, a higher view of the Red Sox. Issue with the Red Sox is that bullpen never got any better. And their starters starting to break down towards the end of the year. So, do I think the Yankees win this game? Yeah, there, there's a good shot the Yankees win this game. I, I, I agree with them being a slight favorite. My issue here is, this over-under being eight, I am hammering the under. What about these teams has shown that either one of these teams is going to put up five runs tonight? I, I don't see that happening. You got Garrett Cole on the mound. If if uh, once Cole comes off, they're going to try to turn this thing over to Loisaga, and then they're going to try to get it over to Chapman. They're, the Yankees are going to just try to go with three pitchers all night tonight, and 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 and, and write it out. I do not see much going on here. And if I see Chad Green coming in this game before the seventh inning, I'm going to scream. Because we are paying Garrett Cole over $30 million. I repeat, we are paying Garrett Cole over $30 million as the ace of the staff. If Garrett Cole cannot give six innings tonight against a badly struggling Boston Red Sox team, you actually start need to think about blowing up this entire Yankees roster. Like, if you can't... And by blowing it up, I mean the organization. Because if you can turn Garrett Cole into a guy who can't even get out of six innings against a struggling offense in the playoffs, then there's something wrong with the actual analytics staff that is telling these pitchers how they need to be approaching all of these teams. Because Tampa seems to have figured it out at a much uh, greatly reduced budget. That's a sixth of the Yankees' payroll. Even with the reduced payroll the Yankees have been operating under the last couple of years under Hal Steinbrenner and cutting corners, the Yankees still have a bloated payroll compared to most teams. They just spent horribly. So, being perfectly blunt, uh, realistically, the hottest hitter for the Yankees right now would be Glaber Torres, who finally started hitting at the end of the year. And it's still under 250 for the year. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what you want me to say. It, could uh, could we see home run upside from uh, Aaron Judge or Mike Stanton? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Oh, a, a correction. Uh, Glaber, because of... A couple hits towards the end of the year. He did actually get over 250. He he got to 259 to close out the year. I I have to correct myself. He he did get to 259 with just over 400 uh, 450 at bats. He did get to 259. But let's be clear: the Yankees are starting Joey Gallo in the four hole, batting under 200. Like I told you, he would. I told you he was a three-outcome hitter. Dinger, strikeout, strikeout looking. I've warned everyone about Joey Gallo. We are starting Brett Gardner. Again, 222 hitter. How are you over a $200 million payroll and still starting Brett Gardner in a must-win game? I, uh, I, I, I can't. 
I can't. I can't do this. It's not worth. It's not worth the screaming. So, be that as it may, with all this, the issues on this team, the way I would approach this from a betting standpoint, yeah, you can bet the Yankees, but realistically, I can't expect either one of these teams to cover a one and a half run difference. So instead, I would take the under eight and a half runs. I don't understand how the, these teams don't. The, the, like the projections for this, uh, uh, for for this to be eight, it's it's wild to me. Unless these bullpens just absolutely implode, which has happened. But again, with playoff baseball, the weather is colder. The ball is not going to carry out as easily. It it shifts back to the pitchers. So to me, the play here is you play the pitchers. So for DraftKings, I would be having a pitcher in the captain spot, either Cole or Uvalde. Uh I would say, you know, again, Garrett Cole's getting paid over $30 million. Uh, he's got a lot of eyes on him if he does not show up tonight. I would play Garrett Cole in the captain. I have no qualms about playing Eovaldi in the flex spot, even though... Uh, it's going to take up a ton of salary. The issue here with both of these teams not being able to hit, I, I I just don't see why you would be hesitant to play uh, just the pitchers tonight. They've been that bad that it it honestly makes a ton of sense playing both pitchers in, in a lineup. It's just that when you play both pitchers, you're going to run out of salary. But what I would always say is this is where you have to get creative with your roster construction. And from my standpoint, this kind of comes down to, like, how, how do you want to win your matchups? And to me, the way to go about it, it is pretty simple. I want to go with pitching, pitching, and more pitching. I'm just loading up on uh, relievers on both teams. Even though they're not good, they're cheap enough that I can get the other guys. So Chad Green is 4K. At some point, he's coming into the game. Loizaga, uh, who is... Literally, the Yankees' best reliever, because Araldis Chapman has fallen off the cliff like I said he would. He's going to run 8400 on DraftKings. This is an insane price. He is priced as though he's a starter. But, the way I look at it, the Yankees, in an elimination game, if they need a leverage spot, and... It's possible Garrett Cole gets into trouble early enough. Loisica can go in there in a high leverage spot in the sixth inning. You would think that Garrett Cole can get it done. But Loisica can go in, and if they put him in there, they're not going to take him out for Chad Green. They're just going to use him to get to uh, Chapman. So at 8400 even though the price tag's crazy, you can actually use Loisica 
and just do a build route where, yes, you keep Garrett Cole because you want the strikeout upside early enough to get enough strikeouts. Then you switch over to Loisaga and then Chapman. And again, you're, you're keeping Evaldi and one uh, two Yankees bats. Because, again, the Yankees are hitting so poorly right now. Outside of Glaber, maybe you, maybe you can play uh, a Judge... Because uh, ju- uh, ju- Judge is uh, 9,800, Stan's 8,800. But these other hitters, like Rizzo, he's 84, uh, he's eight, uh, 8K on draft. Like, all these guys are cold right now. It, it doesn't make sense playing the Yankees' bats outside of uh, the hot hand, which is Torres. And then you look at Judge and Stan. That's about it. The Yankees are hitting that poorly that... From a strategy standpoint, it doesn't make sense trying to load up on all these other players when this figures to be a pitching-dominated game. You're trying to figure out who's going to come in from the bullpen side. And on the flip side, if you're going from a Red Sox wins uh, scenario, you're playing Evaldi and Captain. Uh, and then from a bullpen standpoint, you're probably looking at uh, Garrett Whitlock and Matt Barnes on, on uh, the Red Sox side. And, you know, again, these teams are hitting so poorly. J.D. Martinez is injured. The best best bat right now for the Red Sox is Bobby Dahlbeck. Everyone is struggling at the uh, plate outside of uh, Dahlbeck and Hunter Renfro at 9,200 on DraftKings. Renfro is priced even more than Stanton. Like, folks are not clicking on Hunter Renfro's name. Uh, tonight, overstand. They, they're just not going to do it. That's why I sh- stress, stress for showdown purposes. You have to look at this from a game script scenario. Yes, we could get something funky happening where both pitchers struggle, and then it comes down to which batch uh, you have aligned. But I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think the pitchers do exceedingly well here and just hammer the under. Because uh, I don't see that many runs being scored tonight. I really don't. I'm struggling to see how we're getting more than six runs in this game. I, I really don't see how we get uh, six-plus runs in this game. This this screams like a three-to-two game. If that. Given how poorly these teams have been hitting lately. So, that's my take on the game. Uh, you can choose to disagree, but... In terms of the bats, like, I'm avoiding all these bats. There's just so many bad bats right now that it's, I I, I don't see it. I, I, you know, Bucky Denton can travel out out to Fenway uh, for this game, but, you know, again, we could talk about the Bronxy, the Turtle, and everything else and uh, under the sun in terms of a narrative story, but the fact of the matter is neither one of these teams are hitting right now. So the advantage goes to the pitcher until further notice. Anyway, uh, just to kind of touch on some other things that really got on my nerves over the weekend, let's just talk about the Urban Meyer situation from the NFL. So for those of you who may have been living under a rock, Urban Meyer, uh, I, I don't even want to say Hall of Fame college coach. Because there's a lot 
there's a lot of baggage with Urban Meyer that's been swept under the rug over the years in college football with Urban Meyer between his stint at Florida and his stint at Ohio State where there were multiple scandals that he would just find ways of, of skipping out under because the booster, boosters would cover his ass that realistically he should have gone, uh, gotten nailed to the wall for by the NCAA because every, it seems like everyone under the sun knew that Aaron Hernandez was a game banger, uh, like even back in the Florida days. Uh, but Urban says he has no recollection of that ever happening. Okay. Uh, we have Zach Smith uh, beating the snot out of his wife at Ohio State. And uh, literally, uh, we have multiple uh, correspondences from Urban Meyer and his wife cover, uh, trying to cover up uh, the fact that uh, uh, the abuse was happening, and it, it just it just keeps going on and on when, uh, when it comes to Urban. Like I I don't understand how one guy keeps getting a pass because everyone knew about the Zach Smith situation. It was very clear Urban was orchestrating the cover up behind that one, but you know got got, got another pass for it. And then every time he runs into a scandal, he usually cites some kind of medical or health concern that allows him to step away uh, before the NCAA investigation comes down. So flash forward to this past Thursday, where his mismanagement of the entirety of the game cost the Jacksonville Jaguars a potential uh, win against the Cincinnati Bengals in a game where the Jaguars badly outplayed the Bengals. Badly outplayed the Bengals. There's no way Jacksonville should have lost that game if not for some of the critical decision-making that comes from uh, Urban Meyer. The the players and his positional coaches had them in a position to win the game. Urban cost them the game. So the Jaguars dropped to 0-4. Typically, what happens, because it's uh, after a Thursday night football game, you get a a week-and-a-half break. So you get a couple extra days. Instead of flying back to Jacksonville with the team, Coach Meyer just decides, no, it's okay, guys. You guys go ahead. I'm going to stay behind here. Just abandons his team. So instead of going back with his own team, Urban Meyer is partying on his own with... Multiple women who do not happen to be his wife and hitting on them. And there's multiple videos showing what's going on. So, obviously we have uh, some measure of infidelity and you can color it whatever you want about your personal choices. But at the end of the day, it's just a bad decision choice. From someone who's supposed to be in a position of leadership. No matter how you slice it. So instead of, you know, just owning up to the fact that he got caught philandering and stepping out. Urban Meyer tries to turn the situation around saying he was coerced onto the dance floor against his will. Dude, we have the video of you... (laughs) The girls rubbing, like, 
<laughs> There's the video of you calling the girl over and her rubbing on your crotch and you pretending you were coerced into this entire situation. Then we get another video of you fingering a girl. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even understand this. And the Jags put out a statement saying they're deeply troubled by the video that they saw, but they be- they still believe that he's the man to correct the job. Listen, the players on the team are laughing at him. No one takes him seriously. He was a questionable hire to begin with. So when you have someone who has questionable credentials to be capable of coaching at the NFL level, you have to be able to bring something to the table that's an intangible. Because I still question Cliff Kingsbury. But Cliff Kingsbury at least has a concept of an offense to keep himself relevant for a few more years. Urban Meyer is supposed to be able to have creative ideas for offense. Supposed to be. So far, we haven't seen a a lick of it uh, being executed on the field. He may blame that on whatever positional players he has, but he actually has talent on that roster. You can't have someone in that position being that... (laughs) I mean... You, you can't be that much of a bonehead and expect other people to follow your lead when you ask them not to be idiots. Because the NFL teams, one thing they're prone to do is to get into trouble. So if the guy who's trying to tell them, don't do this, is stepping out on them and doing exactly what he's telling them not to do, what, what, what message does that send? Do as I say, do, not as I do. I, I mean, it doesn't work. There is no accountability right now. At all in the organization. Because the fact that Urban Meyer was not asked to step away temporarily just speaks volumes as to what's going uh, what's going on in Jacksonville. Shad Khan, the owner, has to start looking at alternative choices because you got the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. You cannot screw this up. Period. You have to find a way... To extricate yourself from this situation. You made a bad call with someone who's in over his head. And the problem is that it's starting to spiral. And the sooner you stop the spiral, the better it is going to be for everybody else. But the, the simple fact of the matter is the, the fact that he literally put himself above the team. It sent them home. I mean, instead of actually prepping to get ready for the next, like most coaches would be prepping to get ready for next week, he's partying. I I I can't stress enough how utterly dumb this looks. Like NFL coaches are workaholics. There's a reason why there's a high burnout rate and a, and a, a, a marriage failure rate with NFL coaches. They work themselves to death, and it's a complete and utter burden on their families. It, it is it is crazy, absolutely crazy, that in this day and age we can have this happening with an NFL head coach. Like there's too there's too much quality around to be 
hamstringing yourself in this fashion. It, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And there's easily a morality clause in contracts to get out from a nonsense like this. So it, it's a very simple choice that the Jaguars have to make moving forward. All right, so before I go, I'm going to talk about one other thing that I just saw pop up in the news that is absolutely triggering me to no end. ESPN has announced their new NBA countdown crew will be helmed by Mike Greenberg, Magic Johnson, Michael Wilbon, and Jalen Rose. For those of you who forgot, both Michael uh, both Michael Wilbon, uh, Rose, and uh, Magic Johnson. They were part of an old NBA countdown crew that bombed spectacularly seven years ago or eight years ago. I, I forget which, along with Bill Simmons. And there was tons of infighting back then where they just said Bill Simmons tried to muscle them out. But the truth of the matter is they all sucked. They still stink. And to add to the mix, they also have added Stephen A. Smith to the broadcast. So instead of, you know... Just giving Maria Taylor the money, they let Maria Taylor walk after trying to bury her by saying how uh, greedy she was after the whole uh, Rachel Nichols story saga came out where ESPN sat on the comments for a year and they only brought it up after uh, their contract negotiations with Taylor were going nowhere. This whole saga basically boils down to this. ESPN promised a job to Rachel Nichols in writing in her contract that she gets to host uh, the jump and also moderate the NBA Finals. During the pandemic, and we had a lot of social unrest, obviously, ESPN decided to do the milk toast response and saying... Black Lives Matter, so we're going to just put black people on television but not actually change our company culture whatsoever in terms of there can be only one. So they sandbag Rachel Nichols' uh, finals gig to give it to Maria Taylor. Don't explain to Rachel Nichols or do any makeup to Rachel Nichols. So obviously, when Rachel Nichols is venting to... uh, uh, LeBron's confidant about her issues with the company. No one knew that uh, she didn't know the camera was on. The the comments got uh, got leaked, but she was right. And I know people don't want to hear that, but Rachel Nichols was right. She got passed over on a load of BS because she was the qualified person to host the uh, the finals gig, and it was in her contract. And that's nothing to say against Maria Taylor. But Rachel Nichols was right to be aggrieved. I, I know people like to do cancel culture, but the truth of the matter is Rachel Nichols had a legitimate beef and it was with ESPN management. Now, she could have done it a better way without actually uh, going after Maria Taylor. But hey, if you want to be territorial... Sometimes it ain't a race thing. Sometimes it is strictly a power thing. And guess what? If you got undercut, yeah. You know the circumstances why you got undercut. 
Yeah, it ain't a race that you you got undercut over social uh, nonsense and not actually respecting the contract. It's just that she was trying to go private with it and it managed to get public uh, publicized. So Rachel Nichols got iced out completely from the company and fired. But ESPN, they basically just used Maria Taylor as a, a little mouthpiece to say, that, you know, we care about black lives. But when it came to actually paying Maria Taylor, what, you know, she actually uh, was worth at that point for the job role that they had given her, they didn't want to pay her the money. And so she she went to NBC. So now, what does ESPN do? You let two female anchors go over a situation that you could have actually handled internally. You you did absolutely nothing to resolve the, the matter between the two of them. You, both, you damaged both their careers by leaking out other stuff instead of handling it internally. So what does ESPN do? You turn it around and give it to Mike Greenberg. The guy who does everything else at the network, despite not actually knowing much about sports, even though he claims to be uh, Mad Dog Russo's biggest fan, and Mad Dog, above all uh, anything else, you may not like his stick, but no one ever questioned whether or not Dog knows his sports. Greeny does not know sports. Greeny has the lamest takes of them all because he does everything not to offend anyone. So by not offending anyone, he does nothing to actually draw in any viewers. Every public medium outside of sports he has ever tried, and there were many, has flopped spectacularly because he sucks. And there's nothing wrong with being able to do one thing. And the one thing he was good at was being a foil to Mike Golick because they could do the nerdy guy and the jock stick. And that was it. That was his only value to the company. But instead, these ESPN reps who love Greeny for God knows why keep trying to shovel him into all these different projects that he cannot draw a damn dime on on his own. So you need to actually build out an entire supporting cast to support him when in reality, the host of the show should be able to amplify the co-hosts around him, not have to have the co-hosts prop up the guy hosting the show. Inside the NBA functions, because Ernie Johnson is affable and makes everyone else look better, and they all love him. ESPN will never, ever come close to that. I mean, ESPN could have signed Candace Parker and just added her as the host along with those other guys, and it would be a better product than what they did. Like, this is the worst run company. It's, I, I, I mean, the, the, the way ESPN run, is run, it reminds me so much of some of these failed NFL teams. It's just that ESPN gets away with having so much money being owned by Disney that like they can do whatever they want. And eventually it will all work out in the end because eventually we will watch live sports anyway. But man, like their organizational decisions are so idiotic that it's like, who is what? Like no one is, I am a sports fanatic, so I will still end up watching enough shows. 
But the scary thing is for ESPN, and that what they need to be really mindful of, is that the under 35 crowd is not watching ESPN uh, programming anymore. It they they have nothing to identify with. You are capturing a smaller and smaller demographic every time. It has nothing to do with politics or the content. It's literally the fact that you are putting out non-entities on your airwaves every day. And the entities you do put out are so bombastic and unbelievable with some of the takes that they do that no one takes them seriously because we know it's a stick. So it's it's just a jit up a headline and clickbait an article. It's not believable in any way, shape, or form. So rehashing this NBA countdown crew that we know will fail because you are already paying all these dudes so much money. This roster of people you put together costs more than Sunday, the Sunday Night Football crew. That is insane. It is the number one. Sunday Night Football is the number one television program because it's the NFL. And yet the pregame show that you're paying for costs more than their pregame show. This is insane. Oh, I I give up. I'm going to get this uploaded because folks got to start entering lineups for baseball. But man, like this is the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Anyway, I had to get that off my chest, but that's all for now. Have a good one, folks. We'll see if the Yankees can win this game. But, you know, as I said before, these teams have been playing so poorly down the stretch. I don't think it really matters at the end of the day who wins this wild card game. But we'll see how it goes. That's all for now. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.